You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff-style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft-clipping, high-gain, amp-in-a-box-style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com. That's summerschoolelectronics.com and check them out today. Today's episode is sponsored by Solid Gold Effects. That's right. You know these guys by now, or you should. They seem to, like, sort of do this weird thing where they fly under the radar of, like, general hypey gearhead stuff. But, man, they I've said it before. I'll say it again. They really do make some of my favorite pedals. Uh, Greg has just got himself a one of those magic ears that just he's he's got it to, he's got it down. Everything they make sounds really really awesome. Um, I also want to mention that they make one of the craziest fuzzes, the Formula seventy six. It's like this nutty, like full blown, like tear your head off octave machine. Um, Check out the videos on that thing. It's like one of their prettiest pedals, so you don't really see it coming. But yeah, the Formula 76 is gnarly. So check out some demos for that thing. This episode is also sponsored by Sinusoid. That's right, the custom guitar cable people. You just head over to sinusoid.com, and you know what you need? You need a Sasquatch. The biggest, like, well, I don't know if it's the biggest, but it's one of the biggest speaker cables I've ever seen. Just diameter. It's beefy. It'll uh, it'll handle that extra extra juice that you're squeezing out with the that gnarly fuzz pedal that you just bought. Um, you need to go to Sinusoid. They have a hundred year warranty on all their cables. And if you are in school or perhaps ex military, they uh, they have some special programs in place that could uh, save you a few bucks. So go to Sinusoid.com, check out all the wonderful offerings they have, and um, tell them I said hi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have John Snyder, another John Snyder, from Electronic Audio Experiments. How are you doing? We are, we are legion. Uh, it's good to be on the show. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, really good. Uh, I'm not used to doing multiple podcasts in one day, but today is just such a day. So um, Yeah, I heard you got but- to talk to uh, Brian Wampler earlier. That's awesome. Yeah, him and I we we shoot the breeze on a fairly regular basis, so it's a uh, it's quite a treat. Um and sometimes we record it and sometimes it uh <laughs> sometimes it's entertaining uh and sometimes it's absolutely not. But hey, we do it anyway. Yeah, but that's like I just feel like that's like the best podcast format. You know, it's like two guys who you like probably have a beer with 
kind of talking and you're, you're just there. You're like eavesdropping sort of, but they recorded it. So they kind of know you're there. That's, right. that's, my, that's my favorite kind of podcast. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's like what I aspire to, you know, like, okay, yeah. hopefully, hopefully everyone's like, Oh, that guy, he sounds pretty cool. I'd have, I'd have a beer with that guy, but you know, right. whatever works, yeah, right? that, that's true. That is uh, obviously my preferred format too. So that's <laughs> what I am doing right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so since this is kind of the first time we're talking, why don't you go ahead and, and we'll do the whole standard thing of you give me your uh, musical backstory and the history of your company and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, totally. Um, shoot. Well, when I was, uh, when I was six years old, my, my, you know, my, when I was in first grade, uh, my parents were like, okay, we really want you to start taking music lessons. Uh, cause you know, I think parents are like, oh, well, when kids learn music, they become smart and well-rounded and all that good stuff. And uh, long story short, I started playing violin lessons, uh, and I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I heard you have, I heard you have, uh, you, do you have kids? I thought I heard something I, about that. I have a, I have a son, yes. So I don't know if you think of ha- having him do music lessons, but don't pick violin, because the first two years of a kid playing violin are agony. <laughs> it's just, oh. uh, sc- it's just screeching sounds and learning how to hold it correctly, and it's little tiny fragile balsa wood thing that you know not actual balsa wood but so fragile uh because violins come in like mini kid sizes um after that it's fine but man those first i my, i you know my parents i'm very grateful that they put up with all that noise because without all the violin screeching i couldn't have uh one day progressed to guitar screeching uh when right. I was a, a teenager <laughs> um but yeah when i was you know i took violin lessons when i was a kid i was exposed to all sorts of stuff um, and then I taught my, I sort of, uh, you know, use that as a springboard to teach myself other instruments, um, mostly guitars. Like when I was a teenager, I, I, uh, you know, had one of those like starter pack Ibanez kits, uh, you know, like the, the strat right. looking thing and the crappy little 10 watt amp. And, uh, you know, it was really fun, but I remember being super like uh, displeased at how it sounded. Um, I, I, I remember going to like, uh, there's this music chain, uh, that was in new England for a long time called daddy's junkie music. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, no joke. That's what it was called, and uh, it was sort of like a like a you know a music go around type of place where it was you know uh, m- almost more pawn shop than music store. But every once in a while, there'd be some like really really cool stuff kicking around. Right. Um, and so I go to Daddy's Junkie Music, and I'm like, all right, all right, Daddy. Uh, you know what? How do I get <laughs> like I want I want clean distortion. The guy the guy who's there is like, what do you mean clean distortion? It's either clean or it's distorted. And I'm like, well, I have this amp, and it just doesn't sound right. Uh, you know, the term I was looking for was overdrive. Go figure. I didn't realize that for many years right. later. But, <laughs> right, right. Uh, that was sort of the initial tone quest. I got like a PV Classic 50 uh, after working my first uh, summer job, just doing landscaping when I was 15. Uh, and then that was sort of like you know I was just playing in like pop punk bands and stuff. So. When I was uh, a junior and senior in high school, I was interning at this place, uh, this electronics company in Connecticut that did uh, joysticks. So it was a lot of stuff for like construction uh, and military and aviation, all these like, you know, like these uh, mostly analog, but sometimes digital joysticks. Um, Okay. And uh, they would let me take parts out of the trash. (laughs) And so I'd take them home uh, and tinker with them. And before long, I had built my first pedal. I have it kicking around somewhere, but it's a super hard on. The only thing I had to order was the enclosure and the jacks and the foot switch, like all the stuff that actually makes it a guitar pedal. Um, right. And everything else was just from the trash at work. So 
uh, I sort of went from this, like, you know, what, what is, uh, you know, I don't even know how to describe the sounds that I'm making on guitar to, uh, you know, sort of tinkering and building my first pedal. And that stuck with me for uh, a good few years after, even though it was horribly built. Um, but, uh, so then when I was in college, you know, like I had to sort of slog through a couple years of not being able to play loud, um, you know, like in a dorm room. And then suddenly I was in a band and I was, we were, we were like fairly active. And, uh, that was when I had to really start getting serious with like an actual rig and everything. Um, and in the middle of that, I was like, well, gosh, there's all these cool pedals that I want and can't afford. It was like, oh, well, I can buy, you know, I'm cool with, you know, spending, uh, you know, a few hundred bucks on a delay pedal, saving up like for months and, and getting it. But like, there are all mm-hmm. these cool distortions that I wanted to try. Uh, and so I just ended up trying to make stuff. And, uh, I did a lot of mad bean kits and that type of thing for a while. Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah, like my, my sound for a while was, uh, a Catalan bread SFT clone that I built on a, uh, a mad bean board with that super hard on. And that was like my, my distortion sound for, for like a couple of years, actually. Um, so that was fun, you know, did a whole bunch of stuff with that band, uh, you know, like we toured a little bit, not too much, but then after that, I sort of found myself with a lot of free time, uh, and for some extra money on the side, I was building pedals for people. This is when I would just finished college. Um, and I realized that it was like super, super fun. And then, uh, after a couple months of just doing like Vero board clones and for stuff, uh, for people and stuff like that, uh, I got into like trying to design something for myself. So I would say that electronic audio experiments actually started uh, when I was, you know, during the, uh, there was this time that people in Boston referred to as the snowpocalypse where we had like one snowstorm a week for like two months. Uh, and they were all like these huge <laughs> nor'easters. I don't remember the final tally. It was honestly like a hundred inches of snow or something that winter. But, uh, you know, it was also the winter, the winter of frozen pizzas and breadboarding. Um, you know, I lived in a basement <laughs> apartment at the time. And so we'd just get buried. Uh, I, you know, we wouldn't be able to get out for a day. And so I would just uh, hunker down with a breadboard that I had from college classes and just uh, try to make stuff. And that was how the first uh, iteration of my longsword overdrive was born, was mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, sort of like just a crazy breadboard experiment. I had no idea what I was doing. So then I had to figure out how to make that into a PCB layout. I had no idea how to like, you know, put everything all together and all this stuff. Like I had taken, I was a physics major in undergrad. Uh, and I'd taken two electronic, uh, you know, electrical engineering courses just, just for fun. Um, and, uh, you know, what you learn in those classes has very little application in audio. Like you sort of go around the edges, but like you could build like, uh, like an MXR micro ramp or like an LPB one based on what you've learned after like two semesters of electrical engineering in college. But they don't talk to you about stuff like, you know, tone, right? There's such an abstract concept. Like, well, how do you make something that sounds good? Um, you know, how do you make something that sounds good distorted, like distorted distortion in like any other field of electronics is, is complete garbage. You don't want it. Right. So it's like in guitar, all of a sudden you're like, we'll have to make this distort. So all the things that I know from a data sheet, I got to either read between the lines or throw out entirely. So there are all these guys who, you know, like me, like I'm, this is where I'm coming from, like have an academic knowledge. And then when you actually go to build a pedal, it's kind of like, it's kind of (laughs) garbage. It doesn't really get you there. Um, so, you know, this whole winter of, of breadboarding and stuff, um, I made the first longsword overdrive and, uh, you know, I, I had to kind of learn quite a bit since then, but, uh, that was like my first full range to Eagle and making a drill template that didn't suck and like actually putting together a product. And, uh, I, they were in plain powder coated boxes with a hand painted sword on them. 
Uh, and like people bought them, uh, I sold 15 in like a month, uh, in the summer of 2000, uh, summer of 2015. Um, and, uh, oh, cool. that was, that was sort of the, like, you know, the impetus to get going with more of them. Uh, so those, those 15 or so people who were like, oh, I'm going to take a chance with this guy. Cause, uh, you know, I knew him from when he was at a band or I just like his approach to guitar sounds like, holy cow, <laughs> those people, right. I, I owe them like almost the whole, you know, everything getting started with that. So after that, other designs came out, I started like really trying to fill in my fundamentals, reading a lot of books, uh, talking to other people in the industry, uh, you know, sort of just like seeing what I could see. And it's been, uh, it's been a hell of a ride so far, but, uh, that's sort of where, where it started was just like a kid who couldn't, couldn't talk about distortion properly. And then sort of just like <laughs> coming at it roundabout by being like, Oh, the stuff I learned in electrical engineering, like could maybe, could maybe work for this. Uh, and then sort of doesn't <laughs> until you, you sort of, you know, learn how to read between the lines. And what's funny is now I think about all this is that I'm, uh, I'm in grad school for electrical engineering. I'm in an electrical engineering program, but the lab that I work in is all optics. Uh, and so this is a thing in a lot of schools is that, uh, you know, the, all the optics labs are kind of under the umbrella of their electrical engineering program. So all of my experience, you know, in this, uh, this double E program, like, uh, doesn't have to, re- it relates even less to audio than what I did in undergrad. So go figure, but still fun stuff. Nice way to balance is, my time, you know? Is there, yeah. Is there, um, anything that you're, you're finding crosses over? Cause there's, there's a few guys, not very many, but there's a few guys in the industry that are actually, you know, uh, that took electrical engineering and they seem to be some of the go-to guys, you know what I mean? Oh, certainly. As far as for people to, um, you know, have designs done and, or help with designs or whatever. Um, is there some, is, you, you're talking about how you kind of read between the lines, but are you finding any of that valuable for what you're doing at all? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly not an absolute. It's sort of like, uh, you know, if you're good at electrical engineering, you approach problems in a way where it's like, this has to be efficient. This has to use, you know, like all the best parts in the best way possible. Um, you know, you want, you think about things like what's this going to cost when I'm done with it? Um, you know, you think about there being a low noise floor and it working with all kinds of different types of gear. And you think about like your control tapers, you know, like you ever play a pedal that's really cool, but all the interesting stuff on a control is bunched up in the last 10%. Like oh, that's yeah. the kind of thing if you're, you know, if you're trying to make consumer electronics, like you think about all that all the time. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're coming from the, like, I'm going by my ear and building this on a breadboard approach, or I'm taking a classic design and putting a switch on it that does my favorite mod. Uh, you might not think about those things cause they've already been thought of for you. But when it comes to like, you know, well, why does a circuit sound good? Like what, you know, what frequencies are good for guitars? You, you can't just read an electrical engineering textbook and then like know all of that. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, like you can't just say like, oh, well, this circuit's going to sound better than this one because it's all subjective and it's all, you know, like what's it feel like in your hands when you're hitting, uh, you know, hitting guitar strings and actually like playing this thing. So the guys who, who actually go, you know, like I, you know, my educational path was kind of unconventional because like I'm a physics guy mostly, but, um, the guys who did like a full, you know, electrical engineering degree, they know how to, they know like the industrial design side of it. They know how to make microcontrollers work. Uh, they're really good at PCB layout. Um, whereas like I had to come about that sort of, you know, uh, in a roundabout way from like textbooks and talking to people and studying stuff that I knew was good. So mm-hmm. Those guys, I mean, like, uh, I'm, I can't think of anyone specific. I mean, uh, shoot, 
I'm drawing a blank right now, but uh, you know, like those the guys who can do like all the for, like the fancy microcontroller switching. I mean, or even just companies like you know, you look at Strymon, right? Like those guys aren't aren't uh, you know they're not self taught engineers. You know, like those guys have uh, you know decades of experience and education and you know like all sorts of stuff because they're doing whole all sorts of mixed signal systems where you've got an analog front end, especially with those new drive pedals that they're making, um, mm-hmm. and then super complicated DSP. And then you fit it all into a package that's smaller than a lot of other pedals on the market. Right, right, right. So it's a, you know, there's, I mean, there's no one right way to do it. I just, I, I think about this stuff a lot because, uh, you know, I like to have a really scientific approach, but uh, that sort of ends somewhere along the way. Uh, <laughs> you know, at some point you have to just like shut up and play the guitar, right? <laughs> and just just see what the thing you've made sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I love circuit simulation. Like there's, there's programs where you can drop a schematic and you can look at, you know, if you put in, if you put a pure like tone sine wave in, what it's going to look like when it comes out. And, you know, you can say, okay, well, based on this deformation, this distortion of the sine wave, you get these harmonic products in a 4A series. Uh, but like, if you don't know what that means, like, if you don't, what, if you don't know what that's going to sound like, then why do it? Uh, you have to, you have to go listen to it and then say, oh, that's what that waveform means. Um, and okay. the people who know the most about that, I think are actually like audio engineers. Um, just the other day, a buddy of mine, uh, posted this, uh, this, it was a spectrogram, uh, of a recording he's doing. He's a recording engineer, uh, here in Massachusetts. And he was like, I found it. And it was fret buzz on a spectrogram. And it just was this like big color blob diagram thing. <laughs> and he had circled this little tiny, like little tiny dot on this. Uh, on this graph and was like, that's fret noise. I can edit that out and it's not there anymore. And I was like, wow, I thought I knew stuff about frequency and phase. And this guy like is, is putting me to shame. It was fascinating. That is so those really are the guys, interesting. Wow. Those are the guys you could talk to to be like, oh, well, you know, I know that if I have a pedal, like if you take a guitar pedal and you boost all frequencies equally, right? It's going to sound like crap because if a guitar, if you boost all five frequencies on a guitar, uh, it sounds like, you know, tinny and, and not good. And if you boost low frequencies, then it, it distorts too quickly. It sounds muddy. Um, but if you talk to an engineer, they're like, oh, well, you typically want to cut everything below, you know, like a few hundred hertz and then cut everything above like, you know, two to seven K, depending on who you talk to. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, but you won't really know that unless you talk to the guys who are EQing guitar. Like the electrical engineers might not necessarily know that. And there's nothing in a textbook that would suggest that the ideal range of a guitar is, uh, you know, is like that frequency range. You're thinking more of like a hi-fi where you want everything from 20 to 20K and even really beyond 20K a little bit to be properly reproduced. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That that brings up something that uh, Keeley mentioned on an episode a while back where they pay a lot of, you know, with their digital designs, they pay a lot of attention to filtering. And he was talking mm-hmm. about that same thing. Like most of the time, anything above like 2K, he basically just gets rid of. Yeah, for the I mean, mo- for the most part. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, there's just there's just so many. Everyone's like, well, I want hi-fi. You know, it's like you don't want hi-fi for a guitar. Have you ever plugged a guitar straight into like an, an uh, you know like a receiver for an AV system or a cab with tweeters? Like that's hi-fi. It doesn't sound good on a guitar. No, it doesn't. It sounds awful. So, <laughs> you know, unless you're doing really specific stuff, but. Uh, you know, it's just not how it was designed. So that's, uh, you know, there's, that's like one example. I mean, it's, it's such a complex thing. And like, I could, I could go on about this for ages cause I don't know the right answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like that's sort of you know, like, I guess, uh, you know, where like my 
my like ruminations on it have, have come about, you know, like right. where does this actually all come together? Just what sounds good in an actual mix. Mm-hmm. So do you think of when you're designing things, do you think of things from a recording perspective or a player's perspective or how do you kind of approach it? So I, uh, I'm not a recording engineer, uh, but I have a lot of friends who are, and those guys have been invaluable for advice. So I'm really coming from the, like the perspective of a player. Um, I have sort of unusual tastes in that I like, uh, fairly flat sounding guitar amps, uh, for clean tones. Like my, my favorite amp, like when I was in my old band, the first like serious tube amp that I got was a, an Ampeg V4. Um, and those have the, you know, the Baxendall EQs, that's shelving filters. It's like a flat up and down across a whole band, plus an active mid range where you could kind of pick the middle frequency. Um, and, uh, you know, like I loved that EQ because you could set it flat and then boost and cut exactly what you wanted. Rather, on like a like a Fender amp uh, or a Marshall or a Vox, they all have essentially the same EQ. Uh, to get a flat EQ on those, it's bass and treble at zero and mids at ten. That's not a not a setting you'd ever come up with just by turning the knobs. You have to actually look at the graph and then move it all around and say, "Oh, there it is!" Right? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't actually make sense. But that mid dip is something like the mid dip. If you had everything at five, is like kind of what you associate with the sound of a Fender amp. It's why the cleans sounds so nice, like the big bottom and the sparkle, because you're getting rid of those mids, but only just enough. Um, but I found that I really liked the amps that had a flat tone, and so running a pedal into those is going to sound totally different. Uh, you know, it makes a tube screamer sound like really nasally. Um, it can make a big muff sound kind of like strangled in a way. Like you have to have the natural scoop of certain things to make them work. So I was using pedals that sounded kind of weird in other circumstances. Uh, like, it's just kind of a, that was sort of what informed my taste. And so now I have to remember sometimes if I'm doing a new drive pedal, I've got to test it with something that sounds fendery because, like, that's closer to what most people will use. Um, and then, of course, I can bounce back off the recording guys and say, like, okay, like, does this actually make sense? Or is this just, like, you know, uh, being informed by my subjective experiences as a player? Right. So that's interesting because, yeah, I, I even noticed that I pretty much slant Fender because I love pedals so much. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and fenders in general seem to work well with most pedals. Um, you know, most dirt pedals, I mean, like I, I feel like if I got a fender as a, my platform, like a deluxe reverb or even a twin or something, um, mm-hmm. and with the pedals that are available now, I can get almost anything that I want. Oh out yeah. Dirt wise. Um, so like it, I don't necessarily mean a fender specifically cause I think everybody knows by this point that I play a Benson Monarch 99% of the time. (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, those are incredible. uh, Yeah. So, and I, and I play it on the American setting and and I uh, love that. I'll stop being the commercial, Um, (laughs) but uh, it's not, but I just, it's funny that I I'm rambling like this now because it's not particularly fender sounding, but it has enough clean headroom that I can, I feel like I can get just about anything I want out of that one too. I feel like mm-hmm. having enough input headroom on an amps is what's kind of important for me. Um, as yeah, a that, that makes dirt. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I sort of, I go back and forth all the time. Like I think when I'm, when I'm playing in a band, I really like, uh, my amps to kind of crunch up just a hair and then let boost do the rest of the work. So I'm always obsessed with like clean boost designs, but like you can't build a company off of making like 10 different kinds of boosts. So <laughs> I try to like, you know, keep that, keep that aside. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but then sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll want to use an amp that is like completely crystal clean, uh, you know, at, at like, you know, drum volumes. Um, and then that's when I like to go with like heavier drives and fuzzes and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's sort of, it really just, I, it all depends on my mood most of the time. Um, because like, you know, there are certain distortion pedals where if there's amp dirt on top of that, you lose the character of it. Um, right. Or like the, you know, it, if you're distorting a signal and you're at like, you know, plus 30 dB and your EQ only boosts and cuts like plus minus six, if you're lucky, uh, you're going to lose a lot of that EQ information if you are distorting later or going into a crank damp. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if the if the distortion, you know, amount is more than what the EQ can do, then like there are a lot of pedals where this is even a thing. Like you don't really hear the EQ when it's at max gain. And that's why, like, you just have lost all that dynamic range. So like in an amp like a Fender where, uh, you know, like the character, you want the character the amp to shine through. Um, if you slam it, you lose that. Though that's one of the reasons why people like to crank them because uh, then you lose the scoop in the in the EQ. Like that's it. Almost, I'm almost contradicting myself here. Um, but that's like the, you know, like the hallmark of, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, like all those old, like blues tones, like, well, those guys didn't care if their EQ was set to, cause the amp was just, it was cooking. Uh, you lost all that dynamic range because you were just pushing the phase inverter super hard. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I think we could ramble on about this for a long time, but I actually want to talk about, uh, to, to get it, get it on back onto you a little bit. Sure. Um, Let's talk about some of your, your, you talked about the longsword overdrive. I knew, first seen you from your, uh, I don't know how you say it. Do you say it mo- model FET or model FET or how do you say I usually it? say model FET, uh, cause the, the, so it uses, uh, a thing that you see in a lot of pedals these days, uh, where you, uh, take a tube amp and then you implement the, you implement the design using, uh, JFETs. Um, right. So junction field effect transistor, uh, and, uh, which like you were it, educating yes. me on the other day. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of like a many different kinds of transistors. It's got a nice like tubey characteristic. Like I love it for boosters um, or even like sort of drive pedals that aren't based on amplifiers. Um, I kind of fell in love with the amp in a box thing from like cattle and bread stuff. Uh, one of the first pedals I built, like I said earlier, was an SFT, uh, which was like their Ampeg style one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I set out to do... Uh, I was like, I really want to make a, an amp and a box pedal just to see what it was going to be like. And I was either going to do an AC30 or a Model T, because those are two of my favorite amplifiers. Um, I was looking into the V4, but the V4 preamp is horribly complex. And so uh, it just doesn't really make sense to do that with JFETs. I'd rather just enjoy the real deal. But um, <laughs> so I I breadboarded, uh, I breadboarded this thing thinking it was going to kind of be like a cool gimmick, you know, like, okay, maybe I'll do... Uh, like some artwork that's like a guy in a big cloak and make this like a doom pedal, you know, right. uh, like I like, I like sun. I like those kinds of bands, but uh, you know, I try to be kind of cross genre, uh, you know, in terms of like my marketing and, you know, cause I love, I like a lot of genres of music and I don't want to pigeonhole myself. And so I breadboard this thing and it sounded, it sounded weak. Uh, just like wasn't quite cutting it. Um, and so what I ended up doing was I, I basically added a whole second chunk of the circuit to be like the power amp. Um, so there's the oh, preamp okay. part of it. Um, and a lot of, a lot of pedals do the preamp thing incredibly well, uh, but they work as overdrive pedals. And I, I, what I realized in doing this is that I wanted it to stack with pedals. I wanted it to be able to drive a power amp. Uh, I wanted you to be able to plug it into something totally clean. Um, even something like a cab impulse and say, Oh wow, this sounds kind of like the real deal. Right. Um, and so that was where that came from. So it's the preamp, but also the phase inverter and power amp all sort of, uh, done up in, in the best way that I could, I could do them. So it's like a combination of, uh, you know, taking each stage and looking at the frequency curve of the real lamp and then the frequency curve of the pedal gain stage, uh, and then sort of synthesizing all that into a thing that actually works. So I wanted it to be accurate, but I also wanted it to kind of feel 
like an amp and have it be something you could use as a as a pedal platform. That's really interesting. Like I've been so into that. I I desperately want a Model T, like a real one. Um, oh, me so, too. So, <laughs> so the first time I seen that pedal, I was instantly like, I'm 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 going to acquire that as soon as I can because I, like, I, think... I need I need to try it. I think I think I think you dig it. And what's you know what's funny is like I I didn't have access to the real amp. Uh, it wasn't until I had built a few that I met up with my my buddy Brad from uh, Nerd Knuckle Effects. Um, great dude, by the way. He he's helping me build model fets now, actually. But um, he he's uh, in a band with a guy who has a real Model T. And what mm-hmm. we did was we plugged the model fet into the model T. And if you turned it on, you didn't hear the difference. It was it sounded exactly the same. It was really funny. Um, you know, then we were like, okay, well, let's try plugging it into the, uh, like the slave input of a V4 and then comparing mm-hmm. the sounds. And it was like, it was weirdly close. Um, I mean, obviously you're not going to sound the same, but, uh, you know, the model effect costs less than a 10th of the price. So, right. uh, you know, it certainly gets the job done. Um, I have a buddy in, uh, in Australia, he plays in this, uh, progressive, I guess, kind of metal e-band, uh, called Dumb Saint. And uh, he, they're going on a tour in Europe soon, and he and the other guitar player of the band use model fets into uh, EHX uh, 22 calibers uh, as their oh, fly really? So that they, ju- they can go to any club that's got backline cabs, just plug into that cab, and they're good to go. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> I didn't think anyone was actually going to try doing this. You know, like I know, that, I know it to be true that you can run it into a power amp, but I think most guys are going to read that and be like, oh, that's marketing. You know, uh, mm-hmm. or why would I do that when I have a real amp? Well... If you're flying to another country, that's a pretty pretty darn good reason, I think. So yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It was cool cool to see someone doing that, and uh, you know, it's just nice to have have that as an option. Like especially with all these, you know, the EHX ones and the Quilter ones, which sound fantastic. Like you can have your whole amp be in your backpack, which you just couldn't do back in the day. You know, as much as I love tubes, like man, some of this like compact Class D stuff, uh, you know, the convenience just can't be beat. Yeah, that's true. I I mean, I've even, I've been kind of a stick in the mud about the whole thing until <laughs> recently. Um, of course, I'm not flying anywhere. I'm just going out into my you know into my room and just playing. So it doesn't. I yeah, don't care yeah, yeah. If, if it's a full stack, like it doesn't. I don't care how heavy it is, you know. But as soon as I go to band practice, I do though. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, I gotta haul this thing. Wah. Um. Sorry. Speaking of sun, I have this big old sun two by twelve cab that's like my favorite cab right now it just oh, sounds so nice it sounds so good it's got the original speakers in it and stuff um mm-hmm. um but i had to haul that and and i know what people think well it's a two by 12 it's not that big this thing is a massive two by 12 oh i believe it i believe it <laughs> uh you know just um, i think it's probably three quarter inch plywood like that's uh mm-hmm. you know like <laughs> just yeah. i just you know like i uh I used to I used to not have to worry about carrying gear around because my band had a van and then the band mm-hmm. ended and I have a Honda Civic so or a Honda Accord so I was like well I can't fit a 412 in here anymore like I got to you know got to get creative right. um I love the uh my favorite cab right now is the TL806 um which is a like an electro voice design it's like uh essentially meant to be paired with the uh, EVM12L it's got the right porting and and the box parameters are all matched up and uh so I can take the the model FET and plug that into uh, like the aux input of uh, I've been using a Lab Series L7 a lot lately because it's just got a very clean 100 watt uh, Class AB transistor power amp. And then running that into uh, this TL806 cab, which sounds like a tiny 412, uh, 
and it's it's just the best home rig. Uh, it really it really like you know like I love to run amp, different amps into that because it just has the right feel even though I'm not playing at stage volumes. Um, and then when I take it out to gig, I can just put that next to other stuff and it really fills out the sound. That's interesting. That's really cool. If you're ever looking for a 112, I think you can get, get people who it's an open source design. Like the drawings are just available. Uh, I think you can get like anyone to build you that cab if they know woodworking. Woodworking is like dark, dark magic to me. So like <laughs> I'm not the best person to ask. Um, but for guys who know how to do it, they're like, Oh yeah, you just cut all the pieces out and you put them together in this way and you're good to go. So like nothing fancy involved. It's just like, you know, known dimensions. The hardest part's finding a good speaker. Interesting. What kind of speakers in yours? Uh, I haven't, there's an EVM 12L in mine. Um, it was, I, I bought it, uh, me and, and my graphics guy, Zach bought the two of them as like a package deal on Craigslist for, uh, a ridiculously low price. Cause the guy was selling it as a PA when I'm like, no, these are really good guitar caps. You don't know what you have here. <laughs> he was like, this thing isn't just, it's just not loud enough for a PA. Um, but, uh, so I think we paid like 60 bucks each for them, um, oh, which nice. is less than what the speaker is worth. Um, yeah. But you can use an Eminence Delta, and those are 99% the same as an EVM 12 valve. They just, uh, in fact, the cone's actually a little more robust. Um, they just don't have quite the same frequency response. Interesting. But great speakers, though. I just love, like, really high headroom, you know, like, clean, crisp speakers. And I think that's why, like, the Model T was so appealing, because that itself is a high headroom, clean, crisp amplifier. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's got, like, a little bit of like kind of harmonic dirt to it, no matter where you have it set. Like even the clean settings are never truly clean, even though it's like big and sparkly and like, you know, big broad bandwidth for guitar. It's just a contradictory beast, but man, I love them. They're just so cool. It's a, they're, they're a weird amp. I've, I've played them a couple times. Um, and they, it's, it's so funny how like you don't, when people see them, they don't think clean. Mm -hmm. You think doom. Like, <laughs> like that's oh, yeah. what you think, but they are like super clean sounding, like and pretty sounding until yeah. you got them just absolutely at ear bleeding volumes, basically. <laughs> exactly, um, oh. and it's all it is. It's a super bass, like a. It's literally they just copied the super bass. I think they changed the taper of one potentiometer in the equalizer, so it's got a different feel in the bass. Um, and then it's the like a really high fi power amp, like something you see in a Dynaco unit, like which is what all Sun amps were. It was just a guitar preamp with a Dynaco, like, hi-fi power amp. You used to be able to get the Dynacos as kits uh, back in, like, the 60s and 70s. Um, and it's just crazy how, like, that sort of spawned, like, a whole new take on guitar amps, uh, which was way different than what Fender and Marshall were doing. Because, like, if you compare a Model T to a Super Bass, like, even though they're really similar, they have their own thing going on for them, which mm -hmm. you can't say about a lot of stuff. So I think that's really cool. I did not know that about the Sun stuff. That's really yeah. fascinating. So if you, I think, I mean, if you have a, if you find a super, I mean, not like a super bass is going to be much cheaper, but <laughs> right. uh, you ever get a chance to mess with one, uh, they, they, you know, they sound and feel very, very close. Um, and, uh, you know, cause they're not really like other Marshalls either because, uh, they just have so much headroom, but, right. Right. uh, just incredible, incredible sounding. This, this whole conversation just reminded me of something like not necessarily in my hometown, but like really close, like, like just across the river from where I'm at. Mm -hmm. um, Conrad, uh, Conrad Sunholm lives over there. And I oh, no kidding. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy that he's still building amps. Like, you don't hear about him a whole lot these days. Uh, I think it's because they're so expensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> Could be. But, uh, you know, and I think he's sort of like, I don't know if he, if he really understands 
why people like his amps uh, in this day and age, you know? Uh, like, I think he's like an old school rock guy and he's like, what are all these, you know, like heavy bands doing, doing with these amps? Like, why don't they have like mesas or something? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, I, uh, I don't know. I, I have spoke with him a couple times. Like I just, I, this is all just coming back. I kind of forgot that we had been talking about him coming on like a year ago, but I need to get him on. But like, I got that vibe from him. Like he didn't quite, he did, he wasn't plugged into that world to know that like, well, I mean, what's doom? You know, like yeah. why? Is, uh, like why is there a band named after my amps? You know, yeah. you know? what's with the what's with the robes? Like, you know, <laughs> I, it's it's just so funny. Like, you know, you sometimes you make something and it, it runs away from you in a really cool way. Um, like that's I, that's something I think to be excited about, even if you don't get it when you're doing it. I, I'm sure he doesn't mind because sure. I'm I'm sure that business somehow trickles through to him in some indirect way with his current amps that he's making. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is funny. You're right. Things can like take on like a new, like, I don't don't know about a new life, but like they can, they can get away from you. I I don't think that boss made the HM2 thinking they were going to basically invent black metal. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, geez, like that was supposed to be their take on the Marshall sound. Uh, I don't, I've never gotten one to sound like a Marshall. (laughs) I don't know anyone else who has. (laughs) Um, you know, or it's like the jazz master story too. Like the Fender's like, oh, well, this is a jazz guitar. Uh, and everyone said, nope. And then in the nineties, everyone started buying them up because they were cheap. And then boom, all of a sudden you, uh, you know, how all these indie rockers and shoegaze guys were using them. Like no mm-hmm. one expected that. Uh, no, like no, it's a jazz master. It's called yeah. jazz. <laughs> like no, nobody, nobody expected that at all. And the jazz guys kind of, for the most part, kind of rejected it because it wasn't. Yeah, that's, that's my, under, that's my understanding. Like, I mean, the, you know, uh, I remember, you know, like the first time I saw a jazz band live, the guy was using his neck pickup with the tone all the way off. And I was like, that's a weird way to play guitar. But then I got my first jazz master and I put on the rhythm circuit and I was like, oh, there, there's that sound. I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's what they're that's what they're shooting for. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I still, you know, this is so weird to think about because I've I've gotten other guitars since then. But like on some of the earliest episodes of the podcast, I was pining for a vintage Jazzmaster, and mm-hmm. it's weird to think I still really really want one. And actually, one of the best guitars I've ever played was down at uh, Grun Guitars in Nashville, and it was a I believe a '63 blonde Ooh. Jazzmaster. That's the um, stuff of dreams right there. Oh, I wanted it so bad, but my wife would have, like, she would have possibly <laughs> not been my wife anymore. I know. <laughs> no, not really, but she, we, we was in there, and I was in there with my dad, and he plays too, and we, mm-hmm. I was like, this is the best guitar, one of the best guitars I've ever played. He's like, you should take it home. I'm like, I can't. I yeah. can't. Jesus. Uh, you know, um, that, those are some of the best that I, I just like old, I'm, I'm right with you there. Like, I, I would, I would love a vintage Jazzmaster, uh, you know, like I haven't been able to think about buying a new guitar for a long time, but that mm-hmm. would be that's on the short list. What uh, what are you? Where do you musical tastes lie? Like, what, um, do you, what do you like to listen to? Oh man, it's it's funny because uh, I just, was just trying to answer this question to someone who like wasn't really uh like a music person. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to answer this without sounding like an idiot, but uh, like I like all kinds of stuff. Uh, but it's sort of like kind of. It, it all sort there's a common thread tying it all together that I, I don't know how to put into words. But, uh, so what I'll say is my favorite album of all time is, uh, Music for Airports by Brian Eno. Um, that's okay. like, you know, if I get marooned on a desert island with one record, that's the one, 
that I would like to be marooned with. Um, but I also like, I grew up listening to classical music and then I was introduced to like Blink-182 and stuff when I was in, uh, you know, like when I was in like middle school, um, uh, mm-hmm. by a good buddy of mine. And that kind of branched out into, you know, like all the pop punk and emo stuff that was really big at the time. Um, yeah. you know, like I still, like, I still have a soft spot for Fall Out Boy. Uh, you know, like all the, like taking back Sunday, like all these, you know, I was a huge fan of, uh, motion city soundtrack. who was like a really, they feel like that sort of took a step ahead of it. But then, uh, I was really into like sort of seeing where those guys came from. So like with motion city soundtrack, I was like, oh, well I want to look into, uh, you know, Weezer as an obvious influence or, uh, mm-hmm. jawbreaker or like sunny day real estate. Like, and then I was like, oh, okay, I'm going back into the stuff that's, that's cooler and cooler. Um, while still sort of like looking to see what was popular. So I was getting into like all this post hardcore stuff when I was in college. And, um, that was like the kind of band that I played in, um, was like, you know, it was heavy music, but there was like, you know, very ambient guitar. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, we were just kind of like a combination of like under oath and Thursday, but with scream vocals. Um, but then I was like, oh, we'll have to go back. And now I've got to figure out where music is, was in the nineties and the eighties. And, uh, it was like kind of going in two directions at once. Like I was trying to stay current. But then going back and, you know, uh, I fall in love with so many bands along the way. And like all the time I'm coming up with new stuff that, you know, that people recommend me or, or something else. Um, like the other day I was uh, I was talking to uh, Bill Finnegan from Klon because uh, mm-hmm. he's local and we were introduced by uh, my, my one of my pedal dealers. Um, and he was like, oh, you ever heard of this band Lynx? And I was like, I've never heard of the band Lynx. You know, what what's their deal? He's like, well, uh, you know, the band Battles. And I was like, well, yeah, I was actually just on a huge Battles kick. And their guitar player used to be in this Boston, uh, air, Boston area math rock band called Lynx. They were all instrumental. They just were like, you know, telecasters into twin reverbs and just like played really loud. But, uh, it was kind of simple, but at the same time, like really, you know, like the guitars played off each other in a way that was very unusual and sort of was bigger than the sum of all the parts. And the drummer is just incredible. Um, so, so yeah, it's just weird. Like I'm all, I'm all over the place. Like I really like heavy stuff. I really like, uh, ambient stuff. Um, you know, I love folk music too. Like I'm always going to be listening to various things. Like, uh, you know, I remember hearing the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack when I was like 15 and being like, where did all this come from? And then it was just oh, like man. Yes. going on to, you know, like I, that was a side of music I never really understood. Uh, cause I was like into like, you know, rock, you know, things, all the things that, that sort of branch off of rock and, you know, the, the billions of ways that they do. But then going back and hearing that, I was like, Oh this is incredible. Like, this is why people play acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that sound, I mean, that soundtrack still sticks with me. And then the Coen brothers got me again, uh, with in- the soundtrack for inside Lou and Davis, um, which oh, my girlfriend yes. and I listen to all the time. God, that movie is incredible. That's such yes, a good movie. Um, Both of I love movies, Oscar Isaac. Really. <laughs> He's, I want, I like, I want Oscar Isaac to make an actual solo record someday. Uh, like if he was like kickstartering that, I'd be like, here you go. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, not that he's with the Star Wars money and all, but like, man, like he's so talented. Like the dude went to Juilliard. What? Like he never would have expected that. Uh, and, uh, you know, the songs he does in the soundtrack are just so brilliant. Yeah, um, they're great. I, that was a good movie. I need to rewatch that again. That was a, that's a really sad one though. That's the one that like, I don't, I think I've saw it like a year and a half ago. I can probably see it again now, but then I have to wait another year and a half because it's just so soul crushing. It is pretty upsetting, but it is you a know. Coen Brothers movie, so <laughs> well, that's, it's to be expected, I guess. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I guess I'm all over the place, really. So it's just kind of how it goes. No, I can I can relate. I I we we are probably came up around kind of similar things. Um, 
I liked a lot of those bands too and kind of did the same thing that you did. It was like, well, what's this? I have to go back and find XYZ, you know, and all, and, mm-hmm. uh, led me into, um, listening to a lot of old hardcore bands and, you know, Black Flag and Minor Threat and all this stuff. Just like, oh, yeah. Well, it's just, it's just where like, it comes from. Yeah. It was like, cause I was super into, like you said, like, I was super into Under Oath, um, mm-hmm. and, and some of those bands that were popular. I, I, I like to slant. I was kind of weird. Like, I had, like, I really liked heavy music, mm-hmm. but not certain kinds. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, I don't never really liked, like death metal, you know? No, I, I never liked death metal. I never really liked grindcore or black metal or any of that stuff. I, to me, like, I can understand it to some degree, but, like, whenever I listened to it when I was first, like, kind of discovering my musical taste, I'd listen to, like, a, a Cannibal Corpse or something and be like, this is awful. Yeah. You know, like, just, I like heavy music. I like guys screaming their heads off, but I just never liked any of that at all. Yeah, it's like, I don't know where the line of, like, too heavy is, you know? Um, like, I don't know, I don't know, you know, but I know when it's been crossed. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, because, like, I love, I love a lot of, like, uh, you know, like, post-metal and stuff. Uh, even the really weird stuff. Like, I'm a huge fan of The Body, um, even though they're just, like, a really strange band uh, in so mm-hmm. many ways. Um, but it's like, they don't do, they don't fall into all the, the metal tropes that bore me with regular metal. They're just like, it's like, uh, you know, distilled heaviness, right? Like, but it's yeah. like, it's like bathtub gin heavy. It's like, <laughs> it's like these just really like weird guys who just, you know, went way out there, uh, you know, and just like made the, the heaviest possible stuff they could come up with. And like, it almost goes full circle and, and. You know, it's like weirdly catchy, even though uh, your ears are ringing while you listen to it. But <laughs> I actually cool. have not listened to them, so I'll have to give that a try. Yeah, um, I just, uh, you know, I'll, I don't know what disclaimer to give you, but there should be a disclaimer. Great okay. band. Um, they, uh, they actually, they, I got into them because they did a, they did a collaborative uh, EP. I guess it was like a 12-inch EP um, with uh, this band Brave Young, um, who are actually up, they're actually in, uh, out of Portland somewhere. Um, one of my favorite bands right now, they just had a new record come out. Um, and, uh, it's like Brave Young is a very like sort of, they started as a, like a post-metal band and then they were a post-rock band. And now they kind of sound like, you know, almost like an Arvo part, like Penderecki, like, you know, very like modern classical sort of thing. Um, where it's like, you know, like guitars, lots of reverb mixed with like strings and piano and field recordings. It's just, it's sublime. Um, I really love, I really love that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, but you put that together with a really, really heavy band, two drummers on the same recording, uh, and it's just like, it's heavy without being, you know, like, it's just, it just is super intense. Um, you know, just like very, it grooves, it moves very, you know, like intensely with you. Um, but without being like brutal, you know, mm-hmm. it's cool. Um, it's- highly recommend both of those records. That, right, the one in question, I would say the one to start with is called, uh, Nothing Passes. It's got like a knot on the cover. Uh, by the body and Brave Young, on real yeah, stuff. Interesting. I'm gonna have to scope that out. Um, that's really cool. I I uh, I I sometimes I don't do you. I don't know if everyone does this or maybe I'm just weird. Sometimes I I listen to things um, that I I think I'm probably not gonna like. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. To just to be able to have an opinion on it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like, <laughs> I definitely can relate to that. Like, I was like, I'm probably not going to like this, like whatever it, whatever it is. I don't, and then I'm, I'll look at the cover even and be like, this is probably not for me. Uh, let me, let me give it a, at least a sample here. Uh, <laughs> if, you know, and, and 
and usually I go, yep, don't like that. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very rare that my assumptions are, uh, are false when that comes to you, but I still like put myself through it for some reason. I don't know why that is. I think, I think it's a good way, good way to do it. Um, I mean, that was almost like, you know, I had to like kind of force myself to, to appreciate hip hop, you know, like I, like when I was, when I, I was like a, you know, just a regular old like suburban white kid, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and I like, I had to sort of be like, oh, okay, all right. One day I was like, I just need to understand, uh, you know, like what the deal is with hip hop. Like it's not guitar music. I don't really, I'm not like a very like rhythm oriented person. Like I can't play drums, you know, like I, I can't program beats or anything like that. Um, but it was like, oh, well, I just have to go and like, you know, like listen to a Kendrick Lamar record and be like, oh, okay. Like this guy, like I see where it's coming from now, you know, and it took me a long time to do that where before I was like, well, you know, it's not for me, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or like with, like, I did the same thing with country. I was like, I don't like any country music whatsoever. Uh, and then it was, uh, you know, oddly enough, Motion City Soundtrack did, uh, I think they did like a, I don't know if it was a split or if they like covered each other's songs with this band Limbeck, um, mm-hmm. who are kind of like an alt country band. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is kind of sick, you know? Um, and then I got into like Ryan Adams, you know, like who, I mean, like is sort of, you know, started off as all country and now it's like a weird combination of like the Smiths and Bruce Springsteen and still also all country. <laughs> right. Um, man, like that, his new record is, is unbelievable too. Uh, and there's your Benson amps for you. Um, yes. but you know, like I, I was sort of like, I didn't like when Ryan Adams, uh, you know, was like. I like, I was sort of like, oh, well, this guy covered Taylor Swift. Like, I don't really know if that's really my thing. Um, but then my, uh, you know, my graphics guy, Zach was like, well, you have to listen to his like actual, like, you know, his self-titled was the first one I listened to. I was in, in college, uh, mm-hmm. or shortly afterwards, I guess. And he was, and I was like, oh, well, this guy's super talented. I was just writing him off because he covered Taylor Swift. So, uh, whoops. <laughs> uh, not that there was anything wrong with that, but I was like, if this guy is covering a country artist, then like, I don't know if it's going to be my thing. Um, and it turns out he's just super talented. Doesn't matter what you play. Well, yeah. I mean, I the 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 whole country music thing is a huge sticking point for me. I have so much to say about it because uh, I I grew up and love country music, but mm-hmm. I feel like nothing that's on modern country radio for the most part is country at all in any conceivable form. Uh, that's I, I, I that's I think that's really a really reasonable thing to say. I mean, I <laughs> I sort of grew up. It was like a well, you know, I don't like I don't want to hear about pickup trucks and you know no. drinking beer and you know like I wasn't <laughs> I was like no I just you know why why it, it's like the same recycled stuff over over and over again, um you know but then almost like you know like the old brother we're at that soundtrack I was like mm-hmm. okay something happened between you know the era that this music is an homage to and now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, where it just started to suck, <laughs> um, really badly, like really, 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 bad. really badly. Um, and uh, sometimes you just have to go and find it. So, uh, you know, there's cool some good stuff play. out there. And I, the fact that uh, Sturgill Simpson was nominated for yes, a Grammy, yes, like made me so I, happy. Yeah, his his record is brilliant. Um, I love I like, that guy's output. It's so he awesome. Came, he just came out of nowhere, I feel like. I mean, obviously he didn't because it sounds like he's been working his ass off for years. But like, mm-hmm. you know, as far as uh, people who maybe not would not have ordinarily listened to country are concerned, uh, he just like just, you know, blew in, uh, blew into town and is just tearing it up. Um, you know, I think I was I'm sure most people who had never heard him before saw those live performances he did on like Kimmel or something like that. And yeah. Were like, Saturday oh, Night Live. Wow. Yeah. Saturday. Yeah. That was what it was. Yeah. SNL. Like, holy, I was like, this dude has like, you know, someone, someone lit a fire under him and he's just like, man, uh, 
you know, like you tend to associate that kind of intensity with other kinds of music, not country. And then you see that you're like, this is, this is eye opening in so many ways. Yeah. Well, it's, so, uh, that was sick. <laughs> it was, that was a great, and I, so I, backstory with that guy a little bit. Um, the first time I'd heard of him, he was coming to Portland, uh, op- for, this is going to sound kind of funny, but it was actually awesome. <laughs> um, he was, uh, we had a chili cook-off here in Portland mm-hmm. with like some of like the most popular chefs from like the best restaurants around here and they all made chili and, uh, it was at Mississippi Studios, and one of my favorite bands, Lucero, was headlining. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sturgill was opening for Lucero. Oh, and nice. So we, we, you know, my, my wife and I are like, oh, we're totally going. We eat chili and watch Lucero. Yeah, uh, sign us up. <laughs> Man, and, that uh, sounds great. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we, we, um, like, who's this? Who's this fellow, um, Sturgill Simpson? Who is this guy? And we Googled him and found a couple videos of his first record and from mm-hmm. some performances he did at some like some breweries and uh he'd actually been in portland a few times and it was like this guy is what we need right now like mm-hmm. it, like it was just like his first album was a straight up like outlaw country record um yeah and uh so we went and seen him and it just killed it on stage and then to, to see, and then we've been following him and listening to him, his records ever since then. And just, he's both one of our, one of our favorite artists. To, and to see him go from playing a chili cook-off to, uh, selling out huge auditoriums, you know, here in Portland specifically, like selling out the, the Schnitz two mm-hmm. nights in a row. It's like, this is the greatest thing. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm so glad that he's doing what he's doing. Well, it just it always feels validating when like someone who you're like, I this guy needs to be the biggest, the biggest you know artist in the world, you know, and then they go and do it. Like it's you know like uh, I'm not really the kind of person who's like, oh, that band got popular and they stopped being good. You know, it's like that band got popular and I'm like, they could probably you know like actually afford to feed their wife and kids now. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Job, you know, uh, they have the resources to go spend a month recording an album in Nashville or something like that. You know, it's like man, like that's something we should all all want for everybody. It's like totally just uh it's it's so so cool yeah yeah it's it's been it's been very i it's been, i've been very happy to watch him do what he's been doing uh um it's just like yeah and then i yeah that the, I, where i was going is i went to that performance he did on on snl um mm-hmm. that's what so i took my dad to his show um here just before that actually that performance came out and i was trying to describe to my friends like like no this this show was not even what i expected because it was completely different than the first time i'd seen him mm-hmm. um and i was like it was like 3 hours straight of you know awesome songs and he never he never took one break and wow yeah and the the band was insane as you well, as you've seen it was everyone did solos on every song and it wasn't annoying yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was Which amazing. in and of itself, I don't care what, like, you know, for any genre, that would be a, a hallmark. <laughs> like, just <laughs> not being annoying with a solo, man. Yeah. Like, like takes a lot. On every song, like, like okay, now we're going to have a guitar solo. Now we're going to have a, a organ solo. Like, three solos per song, basically, for three hours. And it sounds like, if you were to tell me that, I would never want to go see whoever that was. But this was actually a, a mind-bendingly awesome. And my dad wow. was like, that's not what I expected. It was not what I expected either. This is great. Yeah. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, and then he did that on SNL, and they just took it just one step further by kicking the Hammond organ over. So was, yeah. I, was, you can, I was like, oh, but, you know, it was cool. Yeah, <laughs> it was for a cool. second there. Yeah, I, I did, but, it did make me kind of like, oh, no, the poor Hammond. Like, that's <laughs> Those things are built like tanks, though. Holy cow. That's true. And if it's, it's not a B3... If it's not a B3, you could just, like, take a random, random, like, survey of old people and find one in an attic somewhere. So, uh, you know, it sort of works out. That's so true. Like, I, I, uh, my, I got a, I got one from, uh, my, uh, my uncle on my mom's side. Uh, I think it was, like, a Hammond, like, L3 or something like that. Um, I just ended up cannibalizing the amp out of it because the mechanical assembly had seized up. But it's like, we had, we were thinking about restoring it and selling it. And there was a guy who's like, oh, listen, I only restore B3s because, like, if you restore any of the other ones, they're worth less than what you're going to pay to get it fixed up. Mm-hmm. But then the well, B3 is like, you know, just holds its value. And the Leslie cabinets are almost even more expensive if they're in good mechanical condition. Uh, just like funny how that works. It is weird how, like, certain things get elevated. Um, uh, to piggyback off of what you just said, there's a company, you may have heard of them, they're called Analog Outfitters. Um, that's their whole Reasonable. business. It, that, that's their that's their whole business is finding old organs and making guitar amps out of them. That's oh, there's a there's another one. I think probably way smaller, but they're called uh, organ donor amplification. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, like similar sort of deal. Like they just salvage those. It's awesome. I have the old chassis still kicking around. I just haven't had a chance to like trace it out yet. Um, maybe I should give those guys a uh, give those guys a ring. And see, you, uh, uh, you know what the trick is. I figure it's got to sound pretty good if you hook it up, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, there's enough people doing it. it and I played the analog outfitter stuff at NAMM, and it sounded pretty pretty awesome. I must that's, say that's cool. That's really yeah. really rad. Um, we're getting down to the last little bit here, and um, I think you should probably like plug yourself and tell everybody where you can find it. I did want to touch on one thing, if you, actually, that I forgot about. If we have time, yeah, we, we can time? we can squeeze it in there. Okay, um, you worked with uh, one of my favorite people, uh, Philippe. To help with the uh, that fuzz they did recently. Oh man, that was a tell that me was how a that project. Came, like, tell me how that came about and what what ended up happening with it if, as quickly as you can without ruining the story. I guess. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, basically, I um, had been working on a uh, a big muff variant with uh, my friend uh, Scott from SNK Pedals, who is a, a, an awesome dude, one of my longtime internet friends. And we were sort of playing around with the idea of doing like hybrid, like IC and transistor gain stages. Uh, like there's the op amp muff and then there's the regular classic big muff that uses transistors. And we had this prototype that was kicking around. Um, and Philippe was like, I really wanted to do a big muff style pedal uh, that has IC stages and transistor stages. And I was like, well, uh, funny you should say that because we've been working on this. And so he was like, if we ever do something like this, uh, you know, I want to make sure they're sufficiently different from one another. Um, and, uh, then it turns out that he just actually brought me on to help with the design. <laughs> um, and so they are, you know, like it's sort of, uh, you know, like of that, like, you know, sort of descends from that, um, in a way. Um, but the big, Muff, the, the stages, like the big Muff stages are sort of living in the pedal somewhere else. Everything else is different. And then we just threw in this parallel octave fuzz and it took me, it's probably to this day, the most brutal PCB layout that I've had to do because it's basically two pedals in one. Um, mm-hmm. because there's the entire, uh, like sort of, you know, like IC hybrid transistor fuzz um, that is kind of big muffy in the tone controls, but otherwise sort of, you know, like it's it's just a big mutant thing. And then there's a whole like octave fuzz in there with a transformer. <laughs> um, right. 
But uh, it was such a fun project. Philippe is one of my favorite people in the industry because uh, he makes things that are classic yet familiar. Like I had a Wave Cannon V1 as my main drive tone in my old band. Um, just a very in- inspirational pedal. Um, it was followed shortly after by a Kilobyte. Um, I have a Meteor. Like I just, you know, I can't say enough about uh, all this stuff because it's like, you know, it's, it's classic, but it's not based on anything. Uh, it's like it's like an instant classic. It's a new classic. Um, and the yeah. uh, and the Shigaharu like. You know, it's just that thing just it breathes fire. Like Philippe did the you know the main like conceptual stuff. I was just there to make sure we could fit it all in a Hammond box uh, and be happy <laughs> with the end result. Um, and yeah, I'm really I'm really proud of that thing. Um, you know, like I think they're doing great work, and uh, I'm excited to see what else they come up with in the future. Yeah, me too. I I I have the Meteor, and I just I plugged that in, and uh, when I was in Nashville, actually, I just uh, went to Eastside Music, and I was like, I gotta go, I gotta go here, and I went in yeah. there, and and I was like, oh, I haven't got to play any of the Caroline stuff because they're just they're they're not a they're not dealt over here for some yeah reason. yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I got it. Let me play that. Oh, that thing looks cool. And I spent like fifteen twenty minutes at it. Realized that I was getting like severely lost in in just that one pedal. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. this is coming home with me. So that's all there is to say about that. Um, but I've since got to play some of his other stuff. Uh, Chris Benson has, I think most of the Caroline pedals over there and I Good. stopped by and played it. I was like, these all sound absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, he just has a fantastic set of ears and, uh, he knows, he knows what he's doing. Uh, mm-hmm. he just like, everything is just so well voiced. Uh, I had a haymaker for a while too. Um, I actually had to sell it in order to buy parts to build the first long sword. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, it was like, you know, like that was, uh, all these pedals were just, it was so, it was like, it was what you want to aspire to. It's like, I didn't want to be the guy who had a, tri- a tube screamer clone and a big muff clone and a rat clone, you know? I wanted to be the guy who had like the cool overdrive and the cool fuzz and the cool distortion, you know? And that right. was what Philippe was doing. Um, so, you know, Philippe, if you're hearing this, uh, thank you always. Uh, he's just a great <laughs> nice. guy. Nice. Yes, he, he really is. So, uh, okay, back to what, before, before I sidelined you and, and said, uh, Talk about this instead. Um, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? On the interwebs, electronicaudioexperiments.com. I have a store. Uh, right now, I am too swamped to do any direct sales, but we have the Longsword version 3 coming out really soon. I'm incredibly excited about it. It's been the culmination of, like, you know, honestly, at this point, years of just tweaking and tweaking and tweaking this same circuit. And, uh, you know, uh, it's its final form. It's, uh, you know, it's always what I've always wanted. In it's a, achieved in a its box. final form. <laughs> yeah, it's the third. It's the third Pokemon evolution. I was just looking. I was trying to find the right stone for it, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's you know uh, bigger and badder than ever, and uh, with some art that uh, my my buddies acted along with this guy Thomas Sarah, who sort of did like the sword graphic. Uh, both just incredible, incredible guys. And uh, yeah, I'm thrilled about it. So those will be coming out eventually. But you know, with the day job and stuff, we sort of just try to crank things out when we can. So. Yep. Yep, understandable, understandable. Well, that's very cool. Um, Thank you. Last, last question, and you right. probably you probably know what it is. Most people do. Oh yeah, John. What kind of pizza do you like? I'm gonna just say pepperoni. I'm a pepperoni guy. It's straight uh, up. Keep it, keep it, keep it plain and simple. I mean, obviously, you know, there's cheese underneath, right? But you know, no one ever talks about cheese as the pizza topping. But pepperoni, yeah, that's my that's my go to. I had it uh-huh. last night. I have leftovers in the fridge waiting for me. It's just, it just feels right. It, it, there, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that's like, you know what? I don't like pepperoni pizza. 
Yeah, it's just, it, you know, like, I don't think there's any kind of pizza that I don't like, uh, except maybe, like, you know, if it's got more vegetables than anything else, then I'm going to be like, why do you hate fun? Um, right. <laughs> but but otherwise, you know, like, I'm, I'm kind of an equal opportunity uh, pizza connoisseur. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try most things unless there's pineapple on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, no, no, no pineapple whatsoever. No, get, get the uh, heck out of here with that. Get, I get think. out of here. Get up on out of here with that pineapple. Um, <laughs> I, you know. I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to hear that pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, if I was, if I was desperate, I'd eat it, though. Uh, right, I'd just, <laughs> just pick like, it off. Like, just there. even, even once it's, once it's away from the pizza itself, you're like, oh, it's just pineapple. Pineapple's dope. Uh, but as soon as it's on there, it's like this just like satanic, acidic combination of cheese and pineapple. Like, why are you uh, doing this? Yeah, why are you doing I, this, pineapple? I, I, yeah, I think I think it's food for barbarians and un, uncultured freaks <laughs> and monsters. Hard hard stance. That's that's my hot take on pizza. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's food for barbarians. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, John, thank you very much for coming on and. Uh, yeah, Ali will be hitting you up for a model fit. Uh, very Hell yeah. Soon. yeah. Thank you very much, Blake. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Uh, for, uh, I almost forgot my own outro. How how professional <laughs> of a podcaster am I? It's because I get thrown off because when I do Chasing Tone, I just say bye. <laughs> and that's what I did earlier today. So for John, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alright folks, that does it for this week. Thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you are feeling like you need more gear nerd stuff in your life, you can uh, join the Tone Mob Facebook group. That's where we're, we're hanging out in there. We're, we're talking tone, we're talking gear. Uh, the other day we were even talking uh, music suggestions. And I found a new, uh, a new band that I really dig and, uh, it's uh, it's fun. We're always talking about interesting musical guitar-related nonsense in there. So yeah, if you're on Facebook, go to the Tone Mob, search the Tone Mob. You'll find the group. Uh, I'll approve you, and we'll start to we'll start talking gear. Hope to see you in there, and I'll talk to you next time. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? 
Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.